Well, good morning, and thanks for tuning in to Grace Presbyterian. I'm Pastor Ryan. As we continue to examine the role of the Holy Spirit through Paul's letter to the Romans, we come today to the assignment of the Holy Spirit to indwell the lives of believers. Through the Spirit's indwelling, He thereby declares His ownership and control over our lives, both spiritual and physical, both in this life and in the life to come. Thanks for listening. They say that uh, the, the younger you are when you get married, the better off the marriage is. Uh, because you will go through uh, the transitions of your life uh, then together, changing and, and adapting and having to yield to one another. Uh, but for folks who wait and wait and put it off, well, they kind of get real set in their ways. Any amens here, folks? Right? They, they, and, and then to have to live with somebody else. Um, uh, you, you can see this not only in marriage, but when I was in college, I was a, a physics major. And in my first lab, I, had, I was assigned a partner. And I, I really kind of had my own pace that I wanted to go at. And, and this was the, the, the style that I wanted to follow. But I, I had a partner, and so I had to work with, with this partner. And sometimes it didn't always go the way I preferred. Sometimes um, he had to yield to me. I had to yield to him. Uh, and then a little bit later, I, I got a roommate. Um, my first roommate and I, completely incompatible, just didn't work at all. And then after that, my second roommate and I uh, became best friends, but still discovered there was only one of us that would do the dishes. And um, the toilet paper goes forward, not backwards. And uh, I mean, right? There are these little areas that are hard to uh, adjust to. Uh, you see this even in, in our, our marriages. Uh, yesterday, my wife and I were in the car driving, and uh, she was putting a little pressure on me because I forgot my driver's license. And so she said, I should be driving because, you know, bring your driver's license when you drive, all right? And I said, okay, so uh, I, I got, because normally in my family, maybe like your family, just one of the spouses, you know, takes control of driving. And that is usually me, but now I'm sitting in the navigator's chair, and uh, she's adjusting the seat and the mirrors and the steering column and the radio and the navigation, and I, I had it perfect. I had it all like it should be. And it, it's difficult sometimes uh, to, to have two lives that come together and then, and then have to work together, and, and sometimes you have to work through things. And, and you know something that's the same for the Christian life. It's the same for those who come to place their faith in Jesus Christ. And there, there's a unique mystery that happens in that God, when you come to faith in Him, He places His Holy Spirit to live in you so that now in, in one body, kind of in, in one building, there are two spirits. You, you have a spirit that has now come to life, that's now reanimated. And then the Holy Spirit comes and also indwells you. One of these spirits is wise and knowledgeable and patient and kind. And the other is immature and selfish and in need of reform. I'll let you decide which of the two that is, but I think we all know. Uh, there, <clears throat> there is a responsibility and a godliness to the Spirit of God that lives in us. And there is an immaturity and a selfishness that retains with our spirit. And yet, 
The Spirit of God and your spirit, they dwell in one being. So, so who's going who's gonna to win? That, that really becomes the major question when it comes to how we live according to the Spirit. Who's going to get uh, to hold the remote control, right? Who, who's the one that's going to get to set the radio station of your life? Is it you? Or is it the Spirit of God that now lives within you? I've entitled this message, uh, The Assignment of the Holy Spirit. And that kind of has a double entendre. The first, that we would understand this, the Holy Spirit has a task. And uh, we, we heard this morning from John's Gospel, as Jesus lists out a, a, a many of the responsibilities of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to look at that a little bit later. But the assignment of the Holy Spirit is also one in which He has been assigned to you. He has been assigned to you. And has a work to do. Amen? Holy Spirit has got His hands full with us. Uh, and we must, we must learn to yield. <clears throat> Before I really kind of dive in here, I actually have one other illustration. I just have to share it with you because it's fantastic. When I was, uh, my wife and I were, were younger. Michael was about three years old. And um, uh, Emily had some cookies. And he wasn't allowed to have any more. And we had our back turned. And then when... Um, we walked into the kitchen again, and sure enough, there he was. And before we had a word to say anything, he turns and says, Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what, honey? What is it? And um, when, we were, uh, when we were younger on the mission field, uh, my wife kept a journal, like a daily log of everything that happened. And so I tried to find it, and I, I went and I pulled up the old log, and I just want to read it to you this morning. Um, because this is, uh, the, what I want you to understand is the way in which the immature, selfish spirit of a child has to sit under the authority of the parent is very similar to the way in which we, as young, immature spirits, need to sit under the authority of God. So here, here's what it says. She writes, this is February 29th, 2012. Update on Micah. He's still so wonderful. He's such a joy to us. Lately, though, he's been sneaking things. The other morning, I woke up and Michael was out in the kitchen. I didn't pay too much attention. I was sitting on the couch. As soon as Michael walked up to me with a sad little face and a big glump of marshmallow on his cheek, <laughs> he looked at me and said in a sad voice, Mommy, I was trying to sneak marshmallows on you. It was like he knew that he had sinned and he felt so guilty that he had to confess. To tell you the truth, it was so cute and so funny, I had to pick up the pillow to cover my face while I laughed. <laughs> while I regained composure, I took down the pillow and we had a long talk about stealing and sin and guilt and forgiveness. And it ended up being a great talk. But it did catch, I did catch him another time getting into the marshmallows. <laughs> if it was only little kids, right? If it wasn't us as well. And another, and another time, he found a sucker somewhere and ate it in the middle of the night. I found a sucker stick, a wrapper, and chewed up gum on the floor in the morning. Thank you, Lord, for not letting him choke in the middle of the night. <clears throat> right? Isn't that how it goes for us? And, and, and thank the Lord he hasn't left us to ourselves. Because uh, when was the last time you tried to sneak some marshmallows on God? And then felt the work of the Spirit convicting your heart such that you came before the foot of the cross. And you confessed that sin and found God able and willing and ready with open arms to wrap you up like the comforter that He is. But then we go back and we find a, a sucker stick, right? And in the middle of the night, we find a gum wrapper. And, 
It's a challenge, is it not, church? To, to learn how to yield ourselves. And that's the word I really want to use. Is it's yielding. You've seen a yield sign on the road? Uh, you, you, can't, you can't burst through it, right? You, you, you've got to pay attention because if there's a reason to stop, you are the one who must stop. You are the one who must yield. And for many things in our life, the Holy Spirit says, pass on through. Head right on through. But every now and then, the Spirit of God will say, hold up, hold up, hold up, hit the brakes, pump the brakes. Are we listening? Are we following? You might recall from last week uh, in our series here on the Holy Spirit, uh, we are in uh, Romans 8, and I'd invite you to turn there with me now as we continue. But uh, we saw that there are two laws. There is a law of sin and death that we still struggle with. And then there is the law of the spirit of life. One of these provides slavery. The other provides freedom. And the key component you might recall from last week that Paul was really hammering through in Romans 8, this is verses 1 through 8, was the nature of our minds and how our minds need to be renewed, how our minds need to be controlled so that we begin not to think earthly, but we begin to think in our minds the way God would think. All of us are there. No one in our uh, building this morning is exempt from this. And somewhere you fall on that spectrum of having your mind no longer thinking the way the world thinks, but having your mind yield such that the Spirit of God will control us to begin to think like He thinks. So what we're going to do is we're going to take the next couple verses in Romans 8. We're going to look and find that there are four main observations, and then I have two questions at the end. So Romans 8, starting in verse 9. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Fantastic passage. And, and, and Paul continues with the same idea of learning how we are to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Uh, he nails down really kind of four things that I want to draw your attention to. The first is this. It has to do with the idea of control. That he says right at the very beginning in verse 9, you're, you are not controlled by the sinful nature, but rather you are controlled by the Spirit. In the original language, uh, the Apostle Paul just uses the phrase in. You are in the Spirit. But uh, picking up with the context, he has in mind this idea of control. And I've called it the active influence of Christ-likeness. Notice it says that you are not in the sinful nature or the flesh. You are not controlled by it. Does it sound like I'm lying this morning? Does anyone feel like, you know, I still feel pretty controlled by the sinful nature. Um, there was a really good illustration that was given to me on this. It has to do with um, these vines that grow down in, in the south. Uh, they've got these big, tall, old trees down in the south. And every now and then you'll find one of these vines that really wants to reach uh, the, the glory, it wants to reach the sunshine, it wants to choke out the tree. This vine can't, uh, can't go up on its own, 
Uh, instead, what it does is it wraps itself around the tree, almost like a serpent, and begins to choke out the life from the tree until it reaches the top. And then it, it begins to block out the sun that would cause the tree to grow. That is sin in our lives. That's what, that's what sin does. And unfortunately, when we are planted into this world, there are vines that begin to grow up around us. And unless the Holy Spirit comes, unless Jesus Christ comes, they will continue to choke out life. Well, watch this. When Jesus comes, he takes an axe to the foot of that vine and he chops it off dead. It's dead. And if you cut the vine at the root, it, it can't grow anymore. But you know what? It's still wrapped around. And every now and then that tree still feels the influence of the sin. Even though the sin has no more power, even though the sin has no more control, you still feel it. And I like that illustration because I feel like that's exactly what we experience in this life. You have to hear the word of God. You are not church. You are not controlled by the flesh any longer. If, you, if it feels like you are, it's because it's that dead vine that's still hanging on. And it will not lose its shackles until the Lord recreates our bodies. Which is the full direction that Paul gets us to eventually when we get to verse 11. Is that as long as you and I live in this world, you will still see that law of sin and death. The, the root has been severed though. Uh, the, the trunk of the vine has been cut. So you're not controlled. This is what he says. You're not controlled any longer by the flesh. Instead, you and I, we are controlled by the Spirit. There's a small little uh, book written by uh, Robert Munger. It's called uh, My Heart, Christ Home. And I'm not joking when I say small. <laughs> it is a tiny little book. And this was uh, given to me uh, by, my, by my wife back when we were in college. And uh, what Robert does here is he writes a very short story um, using a metaphor of your heart where the Holy Spirit comes to live and he compartmentalizes it like a home. And so you've got uh, an office in your home, right? You've got a dining room in your home. You've got a, uh, a work room in your home, a living room in your home, and a rec room. I just want to take a moment. I want to read. It's very, again, very small. Uh, I want to read for you uh, the chapter on the rec room. Okay, everybody ready for a quick story? Here, here's what he writes. Again, remember the premise of the story is that God is coming to live in your heart like a, like a home. He says, I remember the time that he inquired about the rec room where I went for fun and fellowship. I was hoping he would not ask me about that. There were certain associations and activities that I wanted to keep for myself. I did not think Jesus would enjoy or approve of them. I evaded the question. However, one evening when I was on my way with some of my buddies for a night on the town, he was at the door and stopped me with a glance. Are you going out? I answered, yes. Good, he said. I'd like to go with you. <laughs> oh, I replied rather awkwardly. I don't think so, Lord, uh, that you would really enjoy where we're going. Uh, let's go out together tomorrow night. Tomorrow night, we can go to a Bible class or a social event at the church. Uh, but tonight, I have another engagement. As you wish, what, uh, was his comment. Only I thought when I came into your home, we were going to do everything together. We would be close companions. Just know that 
I'm willing to go with you. Well, I said, we'll go someplace together tomorrow night. That evening, I spent some miserable hours. I felt rotten. What kind of a friend was I to Jesus? Deliberately leaving him out of part of my life. Doing things and going places that I knew very well he would not enjoy. When I returned that evening, there was a light in his room and I went up to talk it over with him. I acknowledged, Lord, I've learned my lesson. I know now that I can't have a good time if you're not along. From now on, we will do everything together. Then we went down together into the rec room of the house and he transformed it. He brought new friendships, new excitement, new joys. Laughter and music have been ringing in the house ever since. With a twinkle in his eye, he smiled. You thought that with me around, you wouldn't have much fun, didn't you? Remember that I have come that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be full. It's pretty good, right? You guys get the the picture? Uh, The Apostle Paul wants you to see with this first observation that when the Holy Spirit comes, he comes for that active Christ-like influence in our lives. You're not controlled by the flesh if the Spirit lives in you. You're not. Even if it feels like it, the truth is you are not. You are controlled by the Spirit. The second thing I want you to see here, I'm entitled uh, custody. Um, Interesting term, but I intentionally chose this. I even wanted to give you a definition for it. Custody means the protective care or guardianship of somebody or something. Some synonyms for it are care, guardianship, charge, keeping, safekeeping, responsibility, protection, and tutelage. Does the Holy Spirit have custody over you, protection over you, ownership over you? I want you to look back in Romans 8, uh, the end of verse 9. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. The single identifying feature of a Christian is answering the question, do you have the Holy Spirit living in you? There's no other, um, there's no other ways to call yourself a Christian. That'll, that'll be it. The, the single identifying feature on Judgment Day will be, do you have the Holy Spirit or do you not? And there's no but what ifs in that moment. You, you can't go to God and say, well, but, but, but what if I do a lot of good things for you, even though I don't have the Holy Spirit? Nope. Oh, what if I sing a lot of songs and join the choir? Nope. What if I give a tithe and pay every week faithfully? Nope. The only identifying feature of a Christian that's universal is answering the question, do you have the Holy Spirit? I don't want you to just take my word for it. I want you to see how this is repeated throughout the Bible. Look with me in 2 Corinthians 13.5. You could turn there. I have it up here on the screen. It says, Paul writes, examine yourselves to see whether... You are in the faith. Test yourselves. We don't hear that preached very often, do we? I mean, this is, this is kind of an important thing to make sure that we're not just playing church, folks. But that we are yielding to the Spirit that indwells us. He says, do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Another passage, Galatians 2.20, you've heard this. I have been crucified with Christ. 
And I no longer live, but what? Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Or this one, Colossians 1.27. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is what? Christ in you, the hope of glory. 1 John 4.13, I think, gives it the, the clearest of them all. And I have this printed in your uh, sermon notes. Uh, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. How do we know? He has given us his spirit. The, the custody of the Holy Spirit is that uh, you belong to him now. If you don't have the spirit of Christ, you don't belong to Christ. You either belong to yourself or you belong to the world. This is going to become very important for us because you can't move down the path of sanctification to look like Jesus Christ without first receiving the Holy Spirit. Anybody who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Christ. Not only does He control us, He also holds custody over us. And then thirdly, He does the work of conversion in our lives. Conversion is a fancy way of saying that we've now come alive to the Spirit of God. We're not who we were. We have been converted from what we were. And that we are now alive. Look with me in verse 10. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is... What's it say? Alive. Alive. Your spirit is alive because of righteousness. What does this mean to be alive? Does anybody remember their, their like fifth grade biology class? Like the, the five observations of living things. Remember that? Everybody's like, no. <laughs> I, I had to look this up because um, I actually, I taught biology. And uh, there, there, I think there's seven and then uh, some textbooks have nine. Uh, but it really kind of boils down to three things. Uh, that living things do. Uh, they grow and they hunger and they respond. That's what they do. Uh, they also reproduce and they excrete waste and they do all the other biological stuff too. Uh, but here's what I want you to see. To respond, this is what it means to be alive. Listen here. Your spirit didn't used to respond to God. Your spirit was dead. That God's promise is true in the garden. Do you remember, remember the story in the garden, Adam and Eve? And God said to Adam, in the day that you eat of it, you will what? Die. You will die. And uh, they ate of it. And did they die? Yes. Say yes. yes. They did die. Because a human being is made of two components. You, you have a physical component and you have a spiritual component. And in that moment where they rebelled to go their own way against God, they died spiritually. And they continued to, to pass on that spiritual mortality to every one of their children. Such that you and I enter this world with a spirit that does not respond to God. You'll remember Jesus when he speaks to Nicodemus. In John chapter 3, um, Nicodemus will ask, what do I need to do to inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, you must be born again. Meaning that, and, and Nicodemus is really confused by this. Like a man, he says, well, how can, I, how can you enter your mother's, you know, he's not thinking of it properly. Um, Jesus says you need to be born both of water, meaning physically, and of spirit. You need to be born again spiritually because you died in Adam way back in the garden. This is the first thing 
that conversion does for this. It reanimates your spirit so that we now respond to God. I mean, that's one way you can tell if something's alive, right? You, you poke it. And if, it respond, if, it's, if it's alive, what does it do? It responds. Has the spirit been poking anyone? What did Pastor Dave call that? A holy nudge, right? A, ho- a holy nudge. This is, this is are, you, are you there? Hey, are you there? Are you alive? And this is what the Spirit of God does within us. It, it causes us to respond. Secondly, it causes us to hunger because living things have appetites. They need sustenance. They need nutrients. And so your hunger begins to be, by the Spirit's leading in your life, a desire for the things of God. Do you, do you remember the things you used to love? Could you list them? Come on, what, what, some of you are like, I still love those things, right? Um, yeah, th- that before Jesus Christ, you had a hunger for things of the earth. But now, with the Spirit living in you, you and I should begin to have a hunger to please God and to worship God. And then thirdly, things that are alive, uh, they don't just respond and they don't just hunger, but they also grow. And there is growth to anything that's living. And if the Spirit of God has converted you, if it's been reanimated in your heart, then you ought to be growing. And, and, and maybe you're still uh, an infant in that, and that's okay. Uh, but you can't stay an infant forever. Uh, the writer of the book of Hebrews is going to say that some of you ought to be teachers by now. How, how long have you been coming to church? Should we take a poll? Probably not. Too convicting, right? But listen, listen to what the Word of God says. Some of you ought to be teachers by now. But instead, you need someone to explain the basic elementary truths of God's word. He says that's like milk. Nobody grows up and continues to drink milk from their mother. Like that's what babies need. You you move on to solid food because this is the progress of those who are alive. And this is the third work of the Holy Spirit. I mean, look with me again. I'm not making this up. Verse 10. But if Christ is in you... Your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. We need to evaluate how we're responding, how we're hungering, and how we're growing. Uh, Lastly and fourthly, I want you to see uh, that there is a commitment of the Holy Spirit. And the commitment is nothing short of this. That one day your body will die. But if you believe in Jesus Christ, your spirit's already alive. Your spirit will never die again. Your body is going to die. That's the body that's got that vine wrapped all the way around it, right? That can never really break three. It's a good thing that it will die and go into the earth. The Apostle Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 15. And many of you were at Brother Jim Dabb's funeral yesterday. When I, when I spoke with Sharon, she just humbly and piously only wanted to dwell upon the fact that her dear husband is still alive spiritually he's still alive and i said you know i've been studying a passage that talks about that it happens to be the exact one that i'm preaching on on sunday and the really good news for jim dab that i wanted to share that also comes from first corinthians is that what goes into the ground isn't what looks like what comes out Right? The apostle says what goes into the ground is a seed. That's all it is. It's just a seed. An ugly little seed. And some of us 
feel that we're moving that direction. <laughs> Eventually, we, uh, we die and we go into the ground. But you see, the body that comes out of the ground isn't like the one that went in. The one that comes out is glorious. And it's a body that God determines and God gives you. He says it's just like the body of his son, Jesus Christ. That's worth an amen, right? Amen. The commitment of the Holy Spirit is not just the reanimation of your spirit, but it's the recreation of your body. Don't get too... um, What's the word I'm looking for? Attached to the one you got now. You're going to get an upgrade, right? (laughs) um, My most recent um, illustration of this is my... 1998 F-150 that is not here anymore. It has given up the ghost. And uh, I'm looking for an upgrade, right? And uh, that's okay because uh, you, you, you move towards what will come. And this is how we look to the Spirit's work in our life. So we don't look to the body that we have. We don't want to hold on to the, this one that this one has. Instead, you know what we ought to do? We ought to be preparing it spiritually to receive the body that God is going to give us. The commitment of the Holy Spirit is the resurrection of your bodies. All right, so, so what, do, what do we do with this? Um, I want us to look at the works of the Holy Spirit, but uh, before we do, this is a quote that I forget where it came from, but I really want to share it with you. It's not how much of the Spirit do you have. It's really how much of you does the Spirit have. So, some people in some churches, they want to preach, hey, you just got to get more of the Spirit. You got to get more of the Holy Spirit. And that is bad theology. Uh, God doesn't like just give you, here is a tablespoon of the Spirit, and if you're good, you'll have another. Uh uh-uh. uh. He gives you the whole Spirit. All of the Holy Spirit lives and dwells within us. That's not the question. The question is, how much of you have you yielded over to Him? That's really the, the question we need to look at. So here's what I, uh, to conclude, what I want us to look at the works of the Spirit. Uh, flip back with me to John uh, in chapter 16. It's, it was our um, New Testament reading for the day. I, I uh, put a few of these in your sermon notes already. These are, these are the works of the Holy Spirit, the assignments of the Holy Spirit. Uh, first of all, he teaches us in John chapter 14, verse 26. Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit will be our teacher. He also testifies to the glory of God. But now look with me in chapter 16. I'm going to read through it again. And even though I have it listed up here, I want you to see it from the text. And if you're in the habit of making notes in your Bible, I would encourage you to underline each of these so that you will see the assignment of the Holy Spirit. In verse 5, Now I'm, I'm going to him who sent me, yet none of you asks, Where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. Oh, I just think of the poor Dab family, filled with grief. And anybody who's lost a loved one feels that grief. Jesus sees that his, his disciples here are going to be filled with grief. But God doesn't leave us that way. Listen to what he says. But I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of of guilt in regards to sin, righteousness, and judgment. 
in regards to sin because men don't believe in me. In regards to righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regards to judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, much more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from me what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. There's more that can be added to this list. But the Spirit of God is a counselor. He's one that comes and helps us in our grief. A comforter. He's also doing the work of conviction. That's um, not my job. The preacher's job is to explain the word of God. That's it. I can't produce conviction in your heart. The spirit is the one that does that. Uh, he is called the spirit of truth. There are many of us who, who aren't paying attention to truth. Uh, we're keeping our eyes fixed on other things that have the appearance of truth but really aren't. It says that he guides Tom, you know what a guide is, right? You tell you where to put the boat, where to fish. If you're gonna, you could choose to go over that way, but you're not going to catch anything over there, right? The guide knows where you should go. And the Holy Spirit is our guide. He speaks to us. And finally, He brings glory to God. We're going to return to this in just a minute, but I just have two questions. Number one is this. Do you have the Holy Spirit living in you? You've got to answer this question. Do you have the Holy Spirit living in you? I wonder if uh, you as a good Bible student this morning uh, took a look at this text. This is everything that we read through in Romans 8. Can you identify anything that's repeated? I'll give you just a second here. Anything that's repeated? I should have a Jeopardy theme playing right now. Here, I'll show you. Look at this. Do you see it over and over? The Spirit of God lives in you, but if Christ is in you, who raised Jesus uh, from the dead, is living in you, and that give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit, who lives in you. What, what's he saying over and over and over and over and over and over, right? That the spirit of God lives where? In you. There are two spirits in you, church. Yours that need some education and the spirit of God that lives within you. So the very first question is, do you have the Holy Spirit living in you? You might want to ask, um, how, how, how could I know? Like, what, in what way could I answer that question? I'll, I'll give you just one for now and come to Bible study on Wednesday and ask me the same question and we'll talk for hours. But here's, here's the short answer. Um, you will feel conviction if the Holy Spirit lives within you, but that doesn't yet prove that he's there. Here's what does. Does he win? Or do you win? Because if you win, you don't have the Spirit. The Spirit will not allow a Christian, a believer, to continue in sin. Now, it may show up for a day, it may show up for a week, it may show up for a month, but it will not last forever. That's how you can know that the Spirit of God is living in you. And if you still feel that vine of sin wrapped tightly around you, and the battle is still raging, remember the law of sin and death is still there. 
and you have no victory over this, then you need to come see me after the service. And we need to talk and pray about what it looks like for you to, for the first time, place all of your trust over to God. And we've got a good baptism Sunday coming up soon. That'd be a great time to do that. And hopefully you, like me, recognize that, no, I, I do recognize I have the Spirit in, in me because He convicts me, and you know what? He wins. I can't continue in it forever. I can't continue to justify or put aside any of the ways in which I want to determine what's right and wrong in my life. He brings me to my knees. The second question is this. If you do have the Holy Spirit, are you yielding to him? I want you to look back at your sermon notes where I had that list. Remember all of the assignments of the Holy Spirit, all of the things that he does, maybe... Uh, for you, teaching is the place where you're weak. Or maybe uh, the, the spirit as a counselor in your life is where you're weak. Or the spirit of truth, because you're not listening to truth. Or maybe it's just his speaking altogether, because you're not listening. Where on this list do you need to work? And I want you to circle it, all right? I want you to identify, and you can't circle all of them. Just listen to God's leading and try to identify which of these is a struggle. I'll tell you for me, the, the last one is sometimes hard. Brings glory to God. You know why? I'm, I'm going to do a little confession, church. You ready? Uh, I like to glorify myself. And I, I'm immature on that still. I need to listen to the Spirit because the Spirit wants to glorify God. And so one of the things that I continually have to remind myself is that it's less of me and more of Him. I must decrease, He must increase. That's where i got to work. Which one of these things on this list do you need to work on? Where is it that you need to better yield to the Holy Spirit? So that you're not coming to God with marshmallow wrappers and gum wrappers. But we find that He truly does have control over us. He has custody over us. He's done the work of conversion to make us alive. And the really good news is His commitment is that He will bring life to our mortal bodies as well. Amen? Amen. Let's pray this morning.